yo, 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 yo. What's up? What's up? Let me check the video. Oh, we got the light in the background. <laughs> Shout out to the Christmas tree in the background. What's up, kid? What's up? What's up? What's up, Big Self family? It's the Culture Life Universe podcast. Podcast. Excuse me. Can't even speak. You know, it's just funny that I say that because I was telling my wife, I got to make sure I speak clearly. That's what we're going for here. Clear enunciation. Uh, but yeah, this is the Culture Life Universe podcast. This is your man, Clue, Aaron Keith Vaughn. I'm going to gonna try to keep, the, uh, keep it down a little because uh, we put the child to sleep. <laughs> Sleep. It was mostly my wife because this kid did not have it with me tonight. Uh, this is Culture Life Universe podcast. We talk about culture, life. We got a life, a lot of life going on in this house uh, and the universe. So the things that pull us together, things that unite us, things that inspire us, mystify us like black holes. Uh, today's show is going to be tipping the history and the culture, tipping. Here in the United States and around the world, where did it start? Where did it come from? Why are we giving people extra money? Why are we not giving people extra money? Why do we tip people here and sometimes not here? Shout out to Steve Buscemi in uh, Reservoir Dogs, uh, and Tarantino. Shout out to that too. Anyways, uh, we're gonna be talking about tipping uh, life. We're gonna be talking about the National Park Service. The United States of America has a great service founded early 1900s um, that's going to be called the National Park Service uh, Parks Service so we're going to talk about that organization here and we're also going to talk about black holes so a mysterious thing out in the universe um, and uh, yeah that's going to be the show today it's going to be pretty quick shout out to viewer number one always keeping it 100 so as we kick off every show, we have the What's Going On uh, segment. And that's just to kind of give a little bit of a current events. Excuse me. Had a little bit of a... Had a little... <laughs> water loop. Sparkling water. As we, uh, get the show going. Uh, got a little burp. So, excuse me. I be live on the air. But, man, I just had the first What's Going On... Uh, topic. Let me pull it up. Thank you. This was going to be about uh, man. It's actually pretty cool. I didn't know about it. Turn down. Turn down the music a little. Turn we're gonna, we're just going to pull it up on uh, pull it up on online here. Uh, I was seeing that Alaska Airlines. has recently purchased yeah so nuts so we're gonna put this in the culture section it, it could be also a life um, aspect too because it could get into some kind of financial markets and whatnot but we're gonna kick this with culture because pretty interesting so Alaska Airlines plans to buy Hawaiian Airlines for 1.9 million dollar deal and I literally just saw this before um, the show tonight this is nuts. Um, the deal's valued at $1.9 million, which would 
further consolidated the airline industry, and it's likely that the police close scrutiny by federal and local officials. Duh. So, like, that's, like, one of the first things We lied in our criminal. You know, it's it's really tough. I want to shout out the uh, uh, the Seattle hack, as we talked about this last week. But real talk, um, you know, there's a lot of consolidation of businesses in corporate America. Like, really, that is make a quick note on this in the culture of kind of where we're going, because it's very like there's not a lot of choice. And, like, that's something, believe, that that bothers me in a lot of ways. And, and I, I should say there, this goes, kind of goes two ways. There's a lot of choice in the sense of we can consume a lot of things in a lot of uh, different places. However, it's not necessarily that we can consume a lot of different things from a lot of different companies. Right, so it's like you go to the grocery store. It's like what grocery store do you go to? You go to a Whole Foods. You go to a Trader Joe's. You go to maybe a Ralph's or Safeway. That Walmart, and then it's like you have all these other like whatever happened there. Yeah, you know, there's neighborhood groceries and stuff like that. But that that's a that's a, a neighborhood version. But here you go with airlines. Okay, we have. Hawaiian Airlines, which, sure, probably traveled most of uh, probably this, these routes that Alaska Airlines picked up, so probably the Pacific Northwest, Los Angeles, you know, um, Los Angeles to Bay Area flights, probably San Diego, definitely, obviously, Hawaii, probably Japan, right? Um, but now Alaska Airlines is picking that up. And, you know, <coughs> from, from what it's saying, uh, you know, Alaska Airlines wants to enlarge its West Coast network. Um, it wants to expand tourist spots. Um, okay, all right. Um, so here's a cool thing. So the Hawaiian brand will still be there. So, so that's kind of interesting. Um, but, but but on the books, <laughs> it ain't totally Hawaiian, which is really the issue that we're gonna that we're bringing up here, and that's what we're talking about on the culture section. So uh, you know, shout out to um, I guess Alaska Airlines for you know having a great business uh, plan and flying like a bird, <coughs> like an eagle, um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, making that making that purchase. Actually. Uh, but that's going to be in the culture section, uh, what's going on. Um, and, you know, it's it's so tough not to bring uh, this up in the life section, but uh, really got really to gotta bring it up. It, and, and why it's tough to bring up is because it's really just kind of, um, it's, it's not really as upbeat as this song is. But it's something that needs to be informed. Uh, people need to be informed about, and maybe this will make it a little bit easier for people to listen to this kind of news as we deliver it here 
on the Culture Life Universe podcast. So Israel calls for Gaza evacuations after U.S. urges restraint. So if you haven't heard, the fighting has continued. It's going on. And um, we pray that it, it stops. And prayer for me is uh, a mental meditation with what I believe is a higher power um, to hopefully stop things from uh, from happening. Um, however, you will things in life. Um, please do that for these people, um, both Israeli and Palestinian. This is just and um, it um, it appears that over well over fifteen thousand people have died. Um, I believe well over five thousand people are have been children, and this is something that just really uh, needs to stop. And I'm going to kind of pull down the track some as we kind of just dive a little bit into this a little more. Um, because, like I said, it's hard not to bring up Palestine, Israel, Israeli, Hamas conflict during the life section, whether it be like the what's going on or like even another, you know, feature that we'll do for life. But ultimately, like this needs to cease and this needs to stop. And I will continue to say this on the show. And I will continue to say this um, in any conversation I have with friends, family. Um, you know, this is not good for anybody. You know, war is not good for anybody. Um, and it really needs to stop. I mean, it, an entire, you know, group of people are being displaced and massacred. And also, an entire government that should be leading the world in peace efforts due to their past history with conflict, that is what should be going on. Not saying that, you know, that I would not have been upset if there was a massacre or anything fought in my homeland in Japan. Would I, wouldn't I be upset? Um, but I would like to maybe say that the point has been proven. Um, Hamas fucked up, and y'all pissed, and y'all ready to run them into the ground, which rightfully so. Uh, but you do not have to um, sacrifice civilians at that measure. And uh, that's where I'm going to leave it at that, uh, real talk. So, um, you know, please, uh, everybody out there, um, you know, put some meditation out there uh, for the folks. And let's go ahead and give a moment of silence uh, for the folks. And we are going to go to the universe what's going on segment. So the universe what's going on segment, um, we're going to kick it kind of, you know, uh, how 
did I see? We're going to keep it with the black holes. I mean, you know, we got the black holes coming up for the features. But for the what's going on, um, saying for the universe, um, we want to talk about um, actually deep. It's, it's kind of weird. Deep sea. So it's still, it's on the earth here. Uh, but we're going deep sea exploring. A whole nother universe, right? Um, that is here on Earth. Um, so, re well, not not recently, but you know, over this past year, there were some traumatic experiences um, with folks looking to travel, uh, basically seek the last remnants of the Titanic. So, that was, you know, obviously unfortunate for those folks. I wish that didn't happen to them as they seek the unknown. Um, but that's kind of like what's wild about uh, ocean deep sea exploration is that it is on this earth a whole other universe, right? A whole other world. As we call it. So, recently, um, there was uh, kind of, well, not extremely recent, we're talking like this year. Um, it has been said that this is actually from the actual report on CNN. So starting in like the 1600s, there was like deep sea exploration. It got a kind of push for like nearly 300 years going into this Titanic search, right? Um, the deep ocean floor extends from what's quote unquote 3,200 feet to 19,000 feet. So for folks, if you're listening, it's a few meters or a thousand meters to 6,000 beneath the surface and then deep sea trenches can plunge 36,000 feet so if we do that in comparison to say a mountain Mount Everest so Mount Everest is 29,000 feet Above the surface, so we're talking about thirty-six thousand feet below the earth, below the surface, and literally the pressure. I mean, I, I you know, this, you know, sorry, got the music as we continue to talk. It's pretty epic, uh, but as we continue to talk through this, because like thirty-six thousand feet below the surface. I mean, we're talking about the immense pressure and the fact that these folks attempted to do this um, is just unbelievable. So this article that I was reading from CNN uh, basically just explains the unbelievable uh, risk these folks took um, and then also just the 
unexplainable amount of work that goes in from researchers from um, WHOI, uh, I'm going to get that to them in a second. I'll, I'll look that up first. But WHOI and NASA. So as we get into the black hole future and we talk about NASA, NASA is doing deep sleep sea exploration. How interesting is that? Hello. A whole other world of NASA. So, uh, and let's go ahead and take a look and figure out more urban WHIO is the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. So, there you go. Now we know. Um, but, yeah. So, deep sea exploration, also part of, you know, space exploration. Get to think about Get to know it. Get to think about it. We talked about it here on the Culture Life Universe podcast. That's what's going on. That's what's happening. And we on to some features. Let's get it going. So the first feature, well, you know, I thought about today, I was like, am I going to do ads? It's like, you know, I'm not really taking the time. I don't have any ads to give anybody. Uh, if you want ad space, if you have something to say, if you uh, want to give a shout out, if you want uh, to say what's up, Send a recording in to uh, you can email cluepodcast at gmail.com. Email cluepodcast at gmail.com. Send in a voice recording or something and we'll play it on the show. How about that? Booyah. Um, so, yeah, no really ads today. We're just going to jump right into uh, the first feature, which is going to be about tipping and the history of tipping here in the USA. So I was playing a lot of like the OJ's money, 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 like I was posting stuff on uh, you know, IG and social media and stuff like that. Um, and I was like, dang, it's like, you know, that song was written in The Love of Money. It's by the OJs. Man, I wish I could just play music on the show. I'm trying to freak out the radio. Well, I mean, I don't wish I was freaking out on the radio. I kind of am on the radio here. I'm on the live stream. Um, but also, like, man, it's like, you just got to really be careful with copyrights and trademarks and what, what, you know what I'm saying? You feel me? Um, so, Jesus Christ, this is really good. Yeah, 1973. So, you know, 1973, height inflation, things are popping off. Um, the destruction of the Black Panthers, rest in power. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to laugh about that. It's kind of sad because the Black Panthers are extremely motivational. But, um, you know, the, you know, I'm playing this song and I'm like, man, you know, there's Gotta, there's got to be some sort of controversial history to this um, tipping. And sure enough, what do you know? There is. So uh, in the U.S., tipping has complex and controversial history. So this article pulled from March 
um, the author here is uh, Jonathan Mays, and it's actually a restaurant business. Um, so just like pulling um, uh, pulling up some of some of the things here. Um, of course, we know that. I mean, well, I don't want to say of course. I'll say this: tipping in America is definitely a very controversial thing because we tip for certain industries that we, we don't and we don't tip for others and then there's a there's a specific amount of tipping percentage where it's like you're quote unquote cheap and there's a, a quote unquote overzealous tipping amount um, a tipping amount which I don't know if you would call it like you can't really ask this somebody that's like providing a service I guess but it's really like almost like showboating, I would say. So there's like two sides to that, that sort of point, right? So, um, of course, like, you know, in America, it's like people seem to know that they did something wrong. It, it's good. Um, it seems from the, you know, norm that people tip here in the States well below. 20%, which I guess is still too um, too but, uh, courteous. 20%. Um, I, I mean, I've seen things like 12, 15, 18 on checks, so clearly 20 is a little high bar. <laughs> I don't know if this article kind of tripped uh, but it's kind of funny. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm i not going to get into what I tip. <laughs> That's my business. I'm like George Costanza. It's a solo. <laughs> it's a solo. Shout out to you. <laughs> uh, that's really Jason Alexander, but that's from a Curb Enthusiasm uh, episode. But anyways, uh, so when it comes to history of tipping, uh, much, uh, man, much of the, God bless us. Most of the practice is tied to slavery. Who would have who would have guessed something like that? In reality, the origins are much more complex. Tied to medieval European nobility, post civil war reconstruction, and prohibition. Its rise is directly tied to the emergence of the restaurant as an industry. Um, so it says the tipping goes back to the Roman eras or era. Wealthy visitors to homes would be tipped for service or gambling and whatnot and whatnot. You you had a hotel in, holiday in, uh, a motel six, <laughs> not a motel six. So, so you tip at embassy suites, but you don't tip at motel six. What does that say about us, America? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, tipping was non-existent in the U.S. before the Civil War, uh, but wealthy Americans visiting Europe brought the practice to the U.S mid-1800s, unsurprisingly eager to mimic European customs. And that's some, ain't that some shit? Okay, so we got, I'm going to put this on, on, on the show too, and these will be some forms that people need to know that America, like, is a baby. That's one. Two, the folks here that started America, White, the people of white complexion that first came here to America, the 
pilgrims, Plymouth Rock, those fools, those guys are the European dissenters. They're the English guys that said, you know what, we out of here. So all the, so a lot of the customs and things, it's interesting that this is where it, it originates from here in the States, but it's like that's that needs to be discussed culturally. Things are tied here a lot between old-timey Europe's and the folks that we do, that we do things with. So let's take a note to that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, so, um, but, you know, some hospitality uh, companies started to use, it says, freed slaves, paid them low wages, Encourage customers to leave tips. All right. So, I mean, is that really surprising? Nah, not really. I mean, when you think about it now, dang. And let's 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 think about that. So, we don't have slaves no more. Yeah. I mean, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let, let me reverse that. We don't have slaves out in the open that we know about necessarily today. Because that could mean a lot of things. Um, because there's a lot of different forms of slavery out there, actually. So, yeah, I got to say that. So, this this slavery that we're talking about of the, of the African slaves here in America, who eventually became the African-American slaves here in America, First, there's Africans captured, then there were, there were Africans here that, um, you know, had relations, sexual relations. <laughs> not, not funny, but with Native Americans and other Africans from other, um, other uh, different areas in the African continent. And they became a mixed African culture here, which is African Americans. So a lot of, a lot of folks call... Guess you would say like African uh, African Americans or folks here like foundational Black Americans, uh, folks that are basically Black people, people that are here have been here for a while. Anyways, so considered at one point, (coughs) drinking shot. So obviously considered at one point, and, and many would argue today are considered one of the lowest class of Americans, treated lowest class of Americans, um, uh, one would argue. <laughs> I, I would argue <laughs> um, that, you know, um, black was definitely treated like that. But clearly in this time, this is for the freed slaves. So we can translate to that to also folks that work under the table here, you know, folks that are living here with undocumented uh, folks living as Americans because I, I would consider those folks Americans too because they're here working and keeping our country going by doing a lot of various tasks and things that other folks here that are citizens wouldn't do. But see, that's like where it's tough because it's like the exploitation and then now that you think about the connotation with tipping, a lot of the time, and you see a lot more in fast food now, you can tip more. 
but it was like fast food folks who wouldn't tip them. Um, and I don't even know what that what that says necessarily about that because, I mean, restaurant workers, which is just you know I don't want to say a step above, but like waiters and waitresses and things like that, taking orders, juggling tables, which is uh, more responsibilities than a fast food person. Yeah, still food service. But you know you were expect you're expected here in the states to tip those people, um, and it it's kind of wild to think like dang like in comparison are are they saying like fast food are were we saying like fast fast food workers are the lower than like the <laughs> than these cats from back in the day because we weren't even tipping them. Let's think about that. These are the things we talk about the Culture Life Universe podcast. Let's put that in perspective. Think about that. That's a that's interesting. Interesting thought point us. Anyways, moving on. Um, so George Pullman founded the Pullman Company in 1859. Started operating luxury sleeping cars, um, the growing net, uh, network of rail uh, railways. So this is more history on the origins here. In 1868, Pullman began hiring black men, most of them former slaves, to serve as porters. He considered them to be perfectly trained servants. Pullman paid them. Municipal wages about twenty seven or twenty seven fifty per month in nineteen sixteen, according to Scott. That's the equivalent of eight hundred fourteen dollars a day, which is less than the equivalent today. Or excuse me, which is less than the equivalent today of ten thousand dollars per year. Though they often work four hundred hours per month, so this is nuts. So like this is the Sort of condition that folks were working under, and then they were kind of encouraged to get tips in order to make up for it. So it's like, man, capitalism at its finest, and American labor at its finest. So the emergence of tipping in the late 1800s was met with often fierce opposition, which we find in modern times in the States, with like really really interesting too and I find like sometimes it's never really folks that that have a lot of money that tip the minimum you know I don't know 12 15 percent maybe right um, because like maybe you feel like you feel like there's a connection to folks that are like kind of maybe servicing you and um, and I don't want to say it's all about folks that are well-to-do, but, like, what does that even mean nowadays? Like, what does well-to-do even matter? How much money is well-to-do in America? How do I really know? Um, I guess it's all relative, but I would say for most working-class folks living a little bit over paycheck to paycheck, maybe you have a little bit of savings, it's like you're going to, like, tip because you know it means something to somebody else. But then a lot of times you <laughs> you feel like these, these freaking ass. These assholes uh, that be like, you know, making hella money. Like, let's just say half a million dollars a year. And they don't even want to tip no money. Give you a funny story about that. So I used to, I used to work in the food service, but it was food delivery. And I uh, used to do food delivery for a company. Now, no disclose the brand, uh, but it was in the city of Los Angeles. 
and I was like one of the first um, thousand members of this company. It was pretty nuts, and like it brought us this building, and then freaking showed us, made us show our driver's license, and like y'all go deliver the food, go, go stuff, and like deliver the food. So. You know, in the beginning, it was nuts. It was like, it was kind of like you really had to have some sort of money to, to use the service. It was like 20 bucks to skip McDonald's. Pretty much. But um, eventually, after a while, um, you would get more and more orders. You could get like from restaurants, steakhouses, and stuff like that. So, like, you were starting to make good money because there wasn't a lot of drivers out there, blah, blah, blah. But, like, you really depended on tips because you're a delivery driver. You know, you weren't making that much money. You make, like, five bucks off of a, a delivery. But, like, you already just wasted, like, $15 in gas going to pick it up. So, you're already losing. So, like, you were hoping that person tipped you five bucks. So, at least you're only down five. Anyways, that's 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 the mentality. So, one day, I, you know, picked up an order. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to put the person on blast. Because they're a celebrity. And they're a ball player. I'm not going to put them on blast. Um, but this cat, <laughs> this cat lived in Manhattan Beach, so he was on a, he was on the Lake Show at one time, the Lake Show. And my family that's listening, if, if they're listening to this show right now, they know who I'm talking about because I was hot. I texted everybody, I got on the phone, everybody, I was calling everybody like, "Yo, this cat didn't even he didn't tip me dollars." So, anyways, this cat had me go. He lived, he lived in Manhattan Beach across from the Manhattan Beach Mall, right? So this guy's gonna, this guy's gonna have me pick up some cupcakes from across the street, driving over to his house. I said, bet, no doubt. You know, it was only like a measly four bucks for the, for the delivery, but I was like, oh, damn, I'm gonna meet so-and-so. I'll go, for sure I'll go ahead and do it. Get the cupcakes, pull up, go to his house, big-ass house, of course, in Manhattan Beach, and I pull up, knock on the door, because I'm like, I ain't trying to ring no doorbell. I'll knock. I'll be like the old school. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was funny. But anyways. So then uh, I knock on the door. open. He says, hey, what's up, man? Hey, I got your cupcakes here, bro. Blah, blah, blah. I say, oh, yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I say, yeah, no doubt. Um, best of luck this season. You know, blah, blah, blah. Or something. I don't even know. Maybe the season was over. Maybe. Man, hopefully. I think he got traded after this. So anyways. You know, this cat did not tip me. Four dollar order. Did not tip me. Now, that's that's just a comment on what I just said. This cat made millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Living at Manhattan Beach. This cat didn't tip me. One dollar. One dollar. Not one dollar. So that shit was weak. So anyways, um, that's just that's just the experience there as we talk about culture life, all the you know culture and a little bit of life of that of that on this podcast. Uh, so as we could see, you know, stemming from stemming from the the hopeful um, pettiness, how would you say pettiness, um, bullshit of of. Uh, Fake abolitionists uh, in 
American culture back in the day. Um, what, let's just say, let's just say, what's um, what's the word? Blood sucking capitalists. Okay, blood sucking capitalists from back in the day. Uh, they decided to pay such bad wages that they forced uh, their customers, not forced, but encouraged their customers to pick up the rest of the tab. And that's where tipping comes from in America. I don't want to get too like much in it. It's like, uh, it looks like in 1938, God bless this man, where, where is the next President Roosevelt? But in 1938, President Roosevelt signed the Fair Labor Standards Act which established the first minimum wage, 27 cents per hour, or 25 cents per hour, but there was no minimum for tip wages. In so doing, uh, Congress codified the tipping practice. It wouldn't be until 1966 before it would pass a minimum for tipped workers. So, uh, still, still tough, you know, getting, it's still a really big jump. I mean, from, 
So that was a shameless plug for asking for an engineer for my podcast. Because I'm just, I wouldn't call it lazy, but I like to be efficient. So. <laughs> I like to be efficient. Not necessarily lazy. Uh, so anyways, uh, today we're going to be talking about the National Park Service. So I've been saying it writing it may be wrong. Well, I tagged them today, so I apologize. National Park Service, not National Parks Service. So it's National Park Service. Uh, You know, founded here in 1916, the National Park Service has been trusted with care of the nation's parks. Uh, With the help of volunteers and partners, uh, they safeguard the special places to share the stories, um, and they actually have a 300 year. Um, so the mission is simple. Preserves unimpaired uh, uh, preserves they preserve the unimpaired natural cultural resources and values of all the systems uh, that's all around the United States. So they uphold those uh, the natural and the cultural resources and they provide the education and inspiration for generations to continue to do so. So they want people to continue to basically keep this nation beautiful. I mean, because, man, when you really get out of the cities and you really get into the rural parts of America, America, Harold, America, no, you really do, real talk, um, beautiful nation, beautiful nation. So um, the National Park, um, actually has about 20,000 employees um, of both gender and women um, and gender binary, of course. Now. Um, and through, uh, through the U.S. Department of the Interior, uh, the National uh, Park Service um, has a director that's nominated by the U.S. President, and that's confirmed by the Senate. Um, and then the director is supported by senior executives who manage national programs, policy, and budget um, in D.C. Um, that's where the headquarters is. So this is the national, um, uh, you know, park service. This is all of them. Um, but even here in San Francisco, uh, we have a national park. And that's actually going to be Golden Gate National Park. It's a national park. You can actually go check it out on their website. Um the, the National Park Service is broken up into various regions. Um, so let's see. California. Ooh. Oh, man. So many. Uh, so nps.gov is the site for the National Park Service. Uh, but, man, so many different uh, resources. Um, to actually look at the uh, uh, look at the different parts of your system, man, um, so cool, so cool. Uh, but here's some more information I just wanted to share with everybody about um, National Park Service because I think it's important for folks to have resources, especially nowadays. Uh, speaking of tipping, um, well, this is a job where you're not really going to get tipped, but you can uh, really check them out. So USA Jobs. Um, you know, there's opportunities out there for folks if you're interested in the National Park Service. 
um, great opportunity to go out and apply. Um, so you could go to shout out to that usajobs.gov and you can actually take a look at the National Park Service. And man, I mean, just off top right now, maintenance worker, uh, multiple locations, uh, custodial worker, multiple locations, forestry technician, fire. Yeah, yeah. So all over the country, all over the nation, lots of jobs. They're all out there. Check it out. National job. I'm sure there's a pension. You never know. Um, anyways, also a lot on here. Maps, publications, a lot of great stuff. Um, the history of the, na the National Park Service um, actually, as you, like I said, goes back to the 60s. Uh, but let's go ahead and take a look at some milestones um, as we just kind of look back on on the National Park Service. So some of those uh, big milestones in the history. So of course we have 1916. Um, uh, the portfolio of nine major parks was published, uh, published to generate interest. Um, 1934 um, there's Kind of through the Postal Service, a series of uh, stamps kind of commemorating these parks, right? Um, the first national park, Yellowstone National Park, was created um, in the United States. Um, and in 1872, there was no state government to manage it, so it was actually under the federal government. Um, so national parks and the national monuments in the United States were originally individually managed, managed under the uh, auspices of the Department of the Interior, which we talked about uh, how uh, National Park Service is under. Um, but it wasn't until uh, uh, 19, uh, excuse me, 1916 that President Woodrow Wilson signed the National Park Service Organic Act that mandated the agency to conserve the scenery and the natural historic objects and wildlife therein and to provide for the enjoyment in the same in such manner and such means as will leave them unimpaired for the enjoyment of future generations. So shout out to Woodrow Wilson for making that happen. But, th but this cat, we already talked about that a little bit. He did that in 1916. 1933, Herbert Hoover signed the Reorganization Act. The act gave the president the authority to transfer national monuments from one governmental department to the next. Later this summer, the next president, who else but FDR, made use of this power um, and suggested that um, the War Department should manage the monuments, not uh, the National Park Service which is interesting because it looks like he switched it up and he actually made the War Department, then the Department of Agriculture do that too. Um, interesting. And a little bit of a convoluted piece of history there. But moving on. 
Yeah, I don't know why FDR would do that, but whatever. Uh, so after this, it looks like the the demand for the parks just like skyrocketed. Obviously, after World War Two, everybody's trying to get outside. Everybody's trying to be. Everybody's trying to, you know, man, find peace in the world. And we're going to talk about peace and these black holes in a minute. Uh, but uh, everybody's trying to find peace in the world. So it looks like that was kind of the push. Um, and then as we get going further and further along to the present day, <laughs> um, you know, that was just really the focus over the time was just conserving really the land. And, you know, let's give a shout out to one of our local national parks, Golden Gate Park. Can't in the feature without talking about Golden Gate Park. Uh, sorry, Golden Gate Park is an urban park <laughs> in San Francisco. No, but real talk. One of the most beautiful, uh, beautiful parks. I mean, uh, <sighs> Central Park, is it as nice as Golden Gate Park? Hard to say, but it's pretty nice. Uh, but we here in San Francisco. Shout out to the Bay Area. Yay, area. Anyways, I had to put that on the podcast. But Golden Gate Park, so it is the largest park in our city, of course, as we know. Uh, 24 million visitors a year. The park is over 1,000 acres um, and was established in 1870. Um, it's owned by... Of course, the government of San Francisco, um, shout out to San Francisco, um, architect William Hammond Hall and John McLaren, who I'm pretty sure did McLaren Park too. Um, but the history of the park, um, you know, a lot of folks moving west needed for a spacious public park similar to Central Park outside of New York. So this is how it was kind of carved out. Um, it was, and here's a interesting fact that you can take this to the bank. Um, the Golden Gate Park was carved out of unpromising sand and shore dunes that were known as outside land. And what happens every year here? Outside land music festival. Shout out to those cats for incorporating life history here in the city of San Francisco. Y'all cool, y'all rock. We appreciate you outside lands. Give your man, give your man tickets in next year's uh, outside lands. We would like to go, me and my wife. Uh, we need a babysitter. Shout out to them. Uh, but anyways, uh, Golden Gate Park, um, one of the most beautiful parks here in the city. If you don't know, now you know. Check it out. Some of the greatest attractions that you can see there. Um, we have the Botanical Garden, the California Academy of Science, Conservatory of Flowers, the De Young Museum. Don't forget the Dutch windmills. Folks always forget those. The Japanese Tea Garden. Uh, the old 40... Shout out to the Niners. Bang, bang. Eagles ain't got nothing. Uh, the old Niners Center, Kizar. Uh, Strawberry Hill. Shout out to the Beatles. Uh, and also the, uh, the Bison. Check out those guys. Anyways, 
national park here in our fair city, San Francisco. San Francisco. Um, yeah, so please check it out. Um, that's the life we came to. National Park Service, NPS.gov. National Park Service. Talked about it today here on the podcast. Culture Life Universe. That was life. We on to the universe. Feature. Let's go. And like I said, we ain't doing no ads. We keeping it moving. We keeping it grooving. Because why waste airspace? Uh, we gonna get spooky. We gonna get groovy. I need some water. We over here watching the First Wives Club, the new edition with Jill Scott. <laughs> <My wife. laughs> and this man over here on his knees talking about talking about marrying me again, brother. <laughs> Ow! If y'all knew how much pain I was in while doing this show, you would not be. I've been paid. I've been paid doing this show. It's episode five. I've been paid. If I'm not doing it paid, it's hard to do the show. I've been physical pain. In one day, in another episode, I'm going to talk about it. But right now, I just want to let y'all know that I'll get through it. <laughs> I'll get through it. I'll get through it. But I can't talk about it. But yeah, I've been paid. <laughs> so, anyways, the, the universe. The universe, uh, <laughs> the universe feature is on black holes. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, black holes. Um, black holes, if you don't know, are really just scary and something that I just wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, you know, a black hole is a region of space packed with so much matter that its own gravity prevents anything from escaping. That just sounds terrifying. Sounds sounds like a disastrous way to just be destroyed. Uh, but these things sit out in every single galaxy all over the universe and not even a ray of light uh, so, for humans, we can't see black hole. The material around it is visible. So, the, the things getting like sucked into it. So, matter, matter swirling around a black hole heats up and emits radiation that can be detected. Um, around a stellar black hole, we're going to talk about this. Um, there's like various types of black holes, there's supermassive black holes, there's stellar black holes, <laughs> there's a, oh, excuse me, man, oh, Jesus, yeah, okay, Prim primordial black holes, intermediate mass black holes, stellar mass black holes, and supermassive black holes, 
So most black holes are dense remnants of massive stars. It's called half star. Hopefully the sun never blows up on us and we all get sucked into a supernova. Um, uh, but those are the main branches. So a primordial black hole is formed from the condensation of raw materials and really cosmic primordial black hole smoke soon after the Big Bang. Uh, most were extremely tiny, and while those were the lowest mass, uh, have likely evaporated. Primordial black holes with larger masses may still exist, though even those have remained undetected. So basically, this is like from those original collapsed uh, stars. From those original collapsed stars, they have these black holes, and maybe there's one that's still out there. And what's interesting to think is, how would we even know if we went through a black hole? I want to know. Would you know? Would you know? We wouldn't know if we went through a black hole. We wouldn't know. See, like Astrid, this is why this is why we talk about this on the universe section. We wouldn't know if we were traveling through a black hole or not. And that's important to recognize. So primordial, are we still traveling through the initial black hole? been traveling through since the Big Bang, because clearly that happened. I ain't, I ain't saying that didn't happen. Big Bang can mean a lot of things. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> so anyway, that, that took me. I don't, I don't know how it was funny to me, but anyway, Big Bang can mean a lot of things. So intermediate, uh, so the second branch, intermediate mass black holes. In the mass range between stellar mass and supermassive black holes, that is hundreds Hundreds of thousands of solar masses are intermediate mass black holes. Astronomers have spotted evidence of a handful of candidates, but none have been conclusively detected. Theorists believe there are three scenarios for their formation. Excuse me. One, they would be primordial black holes. They might have formed in environments dense with stars, or they formed from mergers of stellar we're about to get to, so that that's the next one, stellar mass black holes. But it seems like this is like basically if a black hole hooked up with another black hole, then another black hole, and then that other black hole had another black hole, and then somehow those two black holes had a baby, and then that too, and then those black holes got together, then that's maybe what the intermediate black hole is. So, yeah, shout out to that. That really explained a lot of things. And this is what we do here at the Culture Life Universe podcast. We talk about culture. We talk about life. And we talk about how black holes get together, hook up, have other black holes, and they come together, and they become intermediate black holes. That's how we describe it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Uh, the most, uh, so the most common black hole is a stellar mass black hole. Um, and it results from a supernova. Um, uh, so the most common black holes form as a result of a supernova and the catastrophic uh, death of a massive star. We talked about that. Most stellar mass black holes are roughly five to ten times more massive than our sun. So I maybe misspoke when I said the most popular. <laughs> Probably not. 
it's definitely probably if it is that's terrifying uh, most if yeah science sub scientists if anybody from NASA is listening please come correct us hello come correct us please NASA help uh, but anyways uh, so black holes are roughly so the most stellar mass black holes are roughly five to ten times more massive than our sun. Uh, but NFS's laser in pyrometer gravitational wave observatory is <laughs> what the hell did I just read? Uh, <laughs> Hold on. But NSF's Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, LIGO, has detected several with masses up to 100 times that of that of our sun. So clearly, there are scientists out there that are smarter than any human beings that ever existed because these fools <laughs> have detected several of these stellar mass black holes you know i want to i'm doing a call out and i want it to be known if anybody if anybody that was a part of this ligo project wants to be at the culture life universe podcast you hit up your man at email clue podcast at gmail.com clue it's eric keithlock i will accept your I'm inviting you right now. If you accept my invitation, please come on this podcast and talk about this. How did you figure this out? <laughs> how did you figure out? How did you get the craft out there? We want to talk about it because this is just unbelievable. They detected a, a black hole with the masses up to 100 times that of our sun. The sun's the biggest thing we know out here in the Milky Way. Shit. Move it on. <laughs> so uh, the last branch here, supermassive black holes. So supermassive black holes have masses ranging from millions to billions of solar masses and appear to be in the center of almost all galaxies. Spinach. An important area of modern astrophysics is determining how supermassive black holes came to be. Were they formed from such high masses or did their mass build up the NSF fun, uh, funded Event Horizon Telescope EHT project is attempting to capture an image of a black hole, setting its sights on two supermassive black holes, one in the center of the galaxy, Messier 87, and the other in our Milky Way. So these cats are trying to figure it out. It, it's clearly, and this is why we like talking about on the universe future like how how are how are things of the unknown um, like done how are they observed um, so theorists calculate like black holes based off understanding from the universe but it's like these are based off of like theories like how, like Einstein's theory um, Stephen Hawking Kip Thorne I mean these are brains minds of science that you know have only been around once in a lifetime, right? Um, so for nearly a century um, or more, scientists have been trying to 
figure out, you know, uh, you know, how these things come to be, we are still trying to even understand their conception. Um, or, 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 stop that, reverse it. Uh, we're, we're, we, we're, we're trying to figure out how these things came to be, but also don't know. But wait, so we're trying to figure out how these things came to be while also trying to figure out what they do because we still don't know exactly what they do. They take in all the stuff, but where does it go? We don't know. And that's something that we need to recognize, and I always like to close the loop on the show by talking about, um, you know, a universal um, theory topic, and that's something that we need to think about as we're here, you know, on Earth. You know, we put energy out there, and we don't necessarily know where it goes all the time. So, just like we said uh, during uh, the, the life segment of Palestine, you know, let's be mindful. Uh, let's be. Let's try to focus and let's try to um, uh, put energy out there that if we don't know where it's going to go, it's going to be positive. And if it does go somewhere that needs that positivity, then boom, we just have made a, an effect out there in the universe. I think that's great. And on that note, I think I should close up the podcast. So I just wanted to say shout out to the folks uh, that joined in. I only saw one viewer. If there's multiple viewers, shout out to you. Shout out to you. And shout out to you. But this was the Culture Life Universe podcast. Appreciate folks for tuning in. We here on Sunday evenings, 8 p.m., live on Twitch TV. You can catch the recordings on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You know how we do. And it's your man, Blue. Aaron Keith Long. Culture Life Universe Podcast. We talk about Culture Life Universe. This was the Tipping National Park Service and Black Holes. Episode 5. Appreciate y'all. Thanks for coming out, listening to your man. We'll be back. Episode six. We got all you can eat, feng shui, and time travel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. And we gonna talk to you soon. <laughs> My wife's laughing. Probably at Chappelle. Or me, because I'm dragging out this uh, outro. Love y'all. Peace. Peace.